her cuteness is way cuter than me. Like, how do we put her on stage? It's crazy. Well, good morning, everybody. I don't know if, uh, if you all know who I am, but I'll tell you who I am. I'm Chris Ferraro. I've uh, been part of Central for the last three years. Fortunate enough to lead a life group of men, too. So if you're a man, hey, and you're interested, uh, come check us out every other Thursday night. Uh, we're going through the book of John right now, so it's kind of cool. I'm also married to a beautiful lady over here, Sarah, and our three kids, Carmela, Luca, and Vincenzo, all six years and under, so you know it's a crazy house that we live in. Um, so as a father of three young children, uh, one of the joys and, well, quite frankly, also one of the stressors of my day is driving my kids to and from daycare and school. And parents, I know, don't look at me like, oh my gosh, he said stressor about his kids. But it's true, because you kind of understand the stress-joy dichotomy between having kids. Um, but in one particular time, I was driving my kids to school, and, you know, I kind of love the things that they, that they say most of the time. You know, we're, we're driving, and it's like, Dad, can you turn off that sports talk? Because I want to listen to my songs. Or, hey, Enzo took his shoes off again. Or, Carmelo won't let me read that book. And all these different things that come out of them. But then there's these times where they'll say something that is just like, wow, you're like, they're so much smarter and so much more intelligent than their age, right? Uh, just last, two weeks ago, I was driving Luca and Enzo to their school daycare. And it was a really dark and kind of, you know, cloudy day. And Luca goes, you know, Dad, he goes, how come the sun's not out? And I said, well, the sun, you know, it's kind of still there. It's just shining through the dark clouds, even though it's covered. We still have enough light to kind of cover the area. And then this little theologian, he says, it's like the light and the darkness are fighting each other. And I was like, you know, he had no idea. Dad was preparing this message on Psalm 23, right? He had no clue. But this kind of aptly describes this internal struggle that David understood too between this light and this darkness fighting against itself. Now, we know ultimately, okay, on a grand scale, right, that, that the light and darkness, that this battle's already been determined, right? We've all read the end of the book, right? We know God wins, right? God wins in the end, amen? But, but what we don't realize often is that the light and darkness, the darkness is still opposed to the light inside of us every day. And, he's, and they're fighting against us for power and dominion. And, and if we allow it, the darkness will continue to try to attack the light and wreak havoc on our daily lives, and that brings us to Psalm 23 this morning. Last week, if you recall, Gary took us on the first three verses through, uh, through Psalms. Uh, and he talked about a bunch of different things, some experiencing really just this rest in God. You know, would you, just, would you just come beside still waters and rest with me? And so what I'd like to do this morning is take us a little bit further as we realize that we just don't need a thing, okay? So let's go back to the Psalm and read it again. But I want to pray before we jump in to the scripture this morning. So let's pray. Father God, Lord, we just thank you for this time, for this morning, God, for your holy word. God, we thank you that David was able to write in such an authentic way um, that it's able to impact us even today, God. So, Lord, we just ask that your Holy Spirit move in our hearts as you bring us your word this morning, um, that we would understand it more fully and see your presence every day. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's the three ver- uh, two verses that we're going to cover this morning. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So in these two short verses, there's just this, so much depth, right? So much background that we can unpack. So much understanding, but we only have about 35 minutes. <laughs> so I'm not going to be able to do all of it this morning. Um, but let's look, let's look at a couple things this morning and try to understand a little better, okay? All right. Uh, the first thing is, I want you to understand that this morning, I've really been praying and writing this message for four different types of Christians, okay? The first is the new Christian, this new Christian might not understand that, you know, there's a level of 
trial and trouble that will come your way. And I want to be honest about that this morning, okay? The next is the controlling Christian who white knuckles every single scenario that they're involved in. That's, that's pretty much me. Um, I really white knuckle that. I think I'm the only one that can get me through the particular trial that's going on at time. The third person is the forgetful Christian who doesn't really realize that although God's with us on the mountaintop, he's also in the valley below. And the last one's this burned out Christian who weary from the battle of lives. I mean, the battle of our life is just really weary. Um, and though maybe it's, maybe it's something like they, this, the weight is so heavy that they can't perceive God's presence right now. And they kind of need to feel that. And I've been there. I feel, I feel that. Now, the psalm really is this relationship between shepherd and sheep. And it implies a relationship with God, okay? But I think this morning, too, if you're a seeker, there's some stuff that we can use out of this verse, too, to apply to maybe some of the questions you have about God's goodness, about his faithfulness, who he is and his character. So I pray that you would get a glimpse of who God is through this, and this would help you this morning along the journey. So let's unpack the first part, okay? The first part, it says this. It says, he leads me in paths of righteousness, right? Or literally in some translations, right paths, okay, or good paths, for his namesake. That's to bring him honor, to bring God glory, okay? Now, I think it's easier if this was like 3,000 years ago and we were a bunch of Hebrews, you know, in the countryside with flocks of sheep and stuff. But for us sitting here today, we don't usually own flocks of sheep. We're not typically know anybody who's a shepherd. So it might be harder for us to connect, okay? Let me, let me give you a little bit of an understanding about just who the sheep are, okay? You may have heard this before, but not, but sheep are pretty dumb. Uh, and they're pretty much defenseless. Uh, sheep will get themselves into all kinds of problems. Sheep actually will not drink water if it's too loud. Did you know that? Gary talked about last week this verse about he leads me beside still waters. And that's what he was talking about. The shepherd leading the sheep beside still waters because if there's too much commotion, they wouldn't drink. They can't find their own food either. Isn't that crazy to think? Like these guys, they, so they rely upon everything from the shepherd. And this shepherd sheep like image that we get helps us understand that God leads us on paths of righteousness, okay? But the key is this. He doesn't do it for our glory, but for his honor and for his will. So this morning, I want to ask you a question. Do do you actually think he does that? I mean, do you believe when it says that he leads you upon paths of righteousness, that you believe he has good planned for you? I think if we knew his character we'd all say yes, absolutely, to that statement. But often I think we fall into this narrative of the culture of our time that says, you know what? When that natural disaster struck, maybe something like the thing that's happening in Hawaii, where's God in that, Chris? What about the school shootings? Hey, he's not present there. He would have never let it happen. What about cancer, especially cancer in young kids? God's not there. He would have cured cancer if he really existed, right? Right? There's no goodness there. And I think we fall victim to listening to that or even worse saying God doesn't exist at all. At times in our days, maybe we come to that place where we're thinking, yeah, I haven't seen him in a while. Maybe he really, maybe he's really not there. But I think if we understand God as the shepherd, then we know that the shepherd will use motives and methods that may not be in accordance with our agendas or our wants, but yet they're still good. That's the promise of the scripture, that it's still good. And the only way we're going to know that God has good for us is we have to know his voice. We've got to know his characteristics, and we have to know his methods. 
Jesus said in a scripture in the, in the book of John, my sheep, they hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. This is a super intimate relationship between shepherd and sheep. The sheep are so close to the shepherd, they know what he smells like. They sense his voice. They know he provides all things for him. And he leads them, as we talked about earlier, to water and food, the source of life, right? So a few years back, uh, I, was, uh, I was staring down the, uh, the decision of a career change. Uh, my former employer at the time uh, was coming after me to get me to go back to work for them. But to be honest, my current employer was awesome. Uh, everything was going great. I was, I was leading the sales team and, you know, I was making, was making a good income. Um, and I was really liked throughout the entire organization, all the way to the top of the company. But the opportunity was great too. I mean, the opportunity was, was fantastic. It was a chance for me to lead my own sales team here in the Bay Area, um, something I'd, I'd been looking to do. And I'm just thinking to myself, God, what's, like, why do you, why do you want this? So in times past, I've, I've taken time to pray and seek wise counsel. I did the same thing here. Um, and you know, in past, God's revealed himself to me, um, mostly through visions and dreams, and I've been able to discern that's the direction he wants me to go. But in this particular time, I just, I wasn't, I wasn't there. I wasn't feeling it. So I took uh, a pair of my slacks I had for work. I, my tailor's out in Sunnyvale. There's still things called tailors out there in the world. You don't just order things on Amazon all the time. Um, and my buddy Peter, I took it out to Peter Casera's place out in Sunnyvale. And on my way back home, I usually go two particular routes, and I hadn't gone this one in a while. And I said, ah, I'll just go that way, you know, change it up a little bit. You know, it's much thrill I get in my life to change the routes that I'm traveling down the road. And so I decided to go down this road, and I, I, I turned this corner, and I turned, and I turned to the right, and there's a street sign I'd never seen before in my entire life. And the street sign says, Crawford Road Closed. And you're thinking, what in the world? And like, well, let me give you a little bit of understanding here. See, my current employer, my boss's name was Rich Crawford. Yeah, I mean, at that moment, I was like, okay, God, I get it. Like, I see it. Because I had experienced God before through prayer and answered prayers and things like that, I knew this was the voice of God. Right, I had recognized that. And as one of his sheep, as he said, they'll hear my voice, I followed. I left the company I was at, and I've been at the same company now, my former employer. I'm back at them again for the last two years, leading the sales team in the Bay Area. Um, and things are fantastic. And I can tell you that that's because I understood most fully that this was the voice of God calling out to me. So if we want to trust that God's leading us on these good paths, like me, you have to hear him, right? You've got to kind of understand his characteristics, maybe understand a little bit of his methods and how he uses them specifically in your life. And how do you do that? Well, the first thing I think in order to understand who God is, is you have to read him. You got to read about him. You got to know about who he is and read about him, okay? Then you got to talk to him, which is another fancy way to say pray, okay? And then try to emulate him. And specifically as you're reading about him, that's the person of Jesus. Try to emulate the person of Jesus and see how, see how that begins to reveal things to you. And then just give, just give it all away to him and surrender to him and say, God, okay, I trust that your will is good. Even though at times we know it's difficult to do that, okay? But when we start to do that, we can realize this is what God means when he says, I will lead you on paths of righteousness for my name's sake. If you understand this, simply put God, right? Righteousness is who God is, okay? And we can be sure if he's leading us, it's gonna be for the good, all right? I think it's easy if you understand that a little bit for, for us to think, well, yeah, Chris, I get it. Like, you know, and 
in good times, like, I, I see it. Like, he totally is good. But what about when things turn ugly? Do you still believe when things turn ugly that God is good? What about when that financial situation seems to just get worse and worse and worse? What about that pain that's been plaguing you for years gets worse? The diagnosis is not what you were expecting. What about when things just turn bad? When you experience such great loss that you're grieved to the very part, the deepest parts of your soul? Do you believe that God is good then? David writes uh, this psalm with this expectation that he will experience this valley time and time again. In fact, he's already experienced it, right? As a shepherd, he's been through that path, but that he would experience it time and time again. And But for many of us, I think when, when trial comes, we're just like shocked that the trials hit us. Why me, right? At times we're paralyzed. We're just like locked in this place. We can't move. We can't think about the next second because it has just knocked us back so hard, right? And in these times when it's dark, we can't see the light. And we're not confident that God's near. I'll share with you another, another time, probably the most difficult time uh, in, my, in my life yet. And I say yet, like David, kind of expecting that there will be other times that come. Um, I experienced a, a deep and dark depression that overwhelmed me and scared the life out of me. And quite frankly, I was unsure that God was present. Um, I wrote this journal in January uh, t- uh, 23rd of uh, 2004. Uh, I was in the midst of a dark depression, as I said, and um, I think if you listen to the words and some of the phrases I use, I don't put the whole thing in here, but just some of the phrases I use, maybe you've used or you've said or you are saying those things right now in your current place. Take a listen to some of the stuff I wrote. I come to this place tonight still broken but asking. No, crying out for healing, God. God, do you accept me as broken as I am, as tired as I am? Or would you heal my depression and the feelings of hopelessness and despair? Please, God, remove all those pains in my life. I just wanted him to come and just take it all away from me. And it wasn't happening. Lord, I'm scared and lost without you. I fear every day that I won't make it. Please take this burden from me, Father. I can't deal with it anymore. The power of it is so strong sometimes. Help me to overcome. Lord, I am weak without you. Sometimes it becomes unbearable. I don't want to harm myself, God. I can't even believe I'm writing about depression in my life. I thought I would never suffer through something like this. And lastly, I think in desperation, I just want to be well again. Lord, help me to awaken from this darkness of the soul. Revive me, Lord, to live each day for you and no longer be in hopelessness. I prayed at that time with more fervor, with more passion, with more hope than I ever had in my entire life, with more emotion. And you know what? Most of the time I didn't feel a thing. Things weren't getting any better. I wasn't sensing God. I don't know if you guys remember a couple weeks back, but Richard Rock um, spoke about 
this, this desperateness of unanswered prayer. When there's no respite, there's no answer, right? And you're just wondering, God, where are you right now? That was exactly who I was at that moment. And I wonder this morning, although through all the smiles we can put on and all the happy faces we can put on, maybe you're feeling that same sense this morning right now in whatever that problem is with you. Maybe like the burned out Christian, this grief that you've experienced, this depression, you just can't perceive the presence of God. And let me tell you something. I've been preparing this message for just about a month and I've been praying for you since that very moment. What I'm praying is that, beloved, you would hear the hope that God is near. I would pray that you hear what the Apostle Paul wrote here and be able to say this when you come through this trial. Listen to what the Apostle Paul talks about, about experiencing this affliction beyond death. Here's what he says. For we don't want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Sounds familiar to what I wrote, no? Indeed, we felt that we'd received the sentence of death, but here's the promise. But, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. Do you hear the confidence in that? He will deliver us. And on him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again and again and again and again. Emphasis, Chris. Again and again. You hear it? Because in the valley, there's a lot of different dangers that will come upon a shepherd and his sheep and his flock, right? There were natural disasters being in the valley. You're kind of susceptible to the floods that would come on, these flash floods. There's tons of predatory animals out there. And then there's those bandits and those thugs that are just waiting to fall upon a shepherd and his sheep. And recalling the valleys in our lives and the present dangers that we see, the hope, promise, and comfort of our shepherd God is that with his rod and his staff, as the verse tells us, he will comfort us and he will lead us. So what's the rod? The rod was this, uh, this device, this weapon that the, that the shepherd would use to defend the sheep against any sort of danger. Okay, it was his defense mechanism, right? It was his defense weapon. And the staff, this larger staff, would, would reach down and, and pull the sheep up out of the messes they got themselves into because, again, they were dumb and defenseless, and they kind of did that often. But it also, as the sheep got out of hand, give them a little, give them a little whack. Get, get, get back over there, Mr. Sheep. Get them back on the right path that they were supposed to be going on. So what or how do the rod and staff comfort us? How can we understand how those things comfort us? Well, this may be shocking a little bit, but contrary to what you may have been told, God does not always cheer you on. He's not like, that's fantastic when you cheat on your taxes. When you yell at your kids, right? When you steal. He's not excited about that stuff. He doesn't get excited when you neglect your family because of your own personal gains. God's not thrilled with us during the times. And again, don't get me wrong. I mean, he loves us and he loves us in spite of those things, right? But to think that he's going to continue to let us just slip farther and further away into sin, we're mistaken, okay? God is not going to just stand out by and let us do that. God, rightly so, disciplines his children. And I get that as a father, right? 
I don't love my children any less when they break the rules, they get out of hand, or they act bad, or whatever. But I, but, but I do need to correct their course. I do need to put them back on this path of righteousness. And what do I do? What do I use? The staff. To correct them and to move them back where they belong. Okay? It corrects their course. It leads them back on paths of righteousness. And even though they might say, you know, Dad, he's really mean. That's unfair, Dad. How can you do that to us? I know when I look beyond just right now in their lives, and I take this long view on their lives, I see the good path, the good work that correcting them and moving them back on that path has. I get the long view in their lives, right? And that we can understand that through that. I think when you understand in this context, you know, correction, direction, it's, it's actually comfort. Because if we could look back on our lives and go, man, if, if that hadn't happened, what a disaster it would be. You didn't like it at the time, but it's definitely a good thing now, right? If you're struggling with this idea of there being goodness in God's correction, okay, I want to encourage you to reach out to a spiritual friend, um, maybe a mentor of some sort that has journeyed this path before, but that's not currently going through it, okay? And the purpose of them is really going to be able to help break down some of the defenseless, defensiveness that you have, like not being able to admit that there is a, that there is a problem that's needed for correction. Maybe this, uh, you know, your denial that you're going through, be able to shed light on the denial and be able to take ownership on your part of it. And lastly, but most importantly, help guide you along to realize that this path that you have, that, 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 that you're going on is a good thing and you can trust God's process, okay? As a father too, uh, I am always watching out for danger in my kids' lives. Um, if someone or something is threatening my children, I will rear up to defend them by whatever means necessary. Moms, dads, you understand that um, very, very close. And in this sense, what would I use to protect my children? I'd use the rod, right? And God does the same thing. Remember what, uh, as we face enemies, what my little theologian Lucas said earlier, he said, the light and darkness are at war, right? And against us, God as our shepherd will defend us and use the rod to knock out any spiritual attack, any attack of any kind. That's what our shepherd does for us. It's comforting to think that we have a God who's so concerned for our safety that he's actively fighting off forces that come after us, even when we don't see him. And we don't perceive God's actually at work. Does that make sense? Right? Because faith for us at this point, it's absolutely irreplaceable. It's irreplaceable. This faith is so deep. That's a faith that we understand that even in the deepest, darkest of places, that his goodness is with us, no matter how bad, no matter how ugly, no matter how unbearable things may seem. You starting to get it? You starting to see how God has goodness for us? That we have nothing to fear? Would you be ready for this part? Let's go on to the next part. I will fear no evil. Because even in the darkest of times, the hope remains that we don't have to fear any evil. Why? Because he's near. Yeah, because he is near. David was so utterly confident when he wrote this that he had nothing to fear. But for us, let's be honest, David's a pro at this point, understanding that he had nothing to fear because God was with him. I mean, he had already, you know, gone on the, the journey in the valley many times. He had been attacked by many different people, was on the run from Saul and so on and so forth. So he got it. But for us, it's probably kind of hard, but I want to say you can trust 
You can trust God has good in mind. I want to remind you of the power that our God brings with him. You remember the time when uh, Jesus and his disciples, they were headed across the sea, right? And that great storm rose up, right? And Jesus gets up out of the boat. And what does Jesus, what does Jesus do? Jesus says, why are you afraid, oh, you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the seas, and there was a great calm. Our God is so powerful. Even the winds and the seas are rebuked. Jesus brings calm. Let me add on to that. Jesus brings great calm. So if he brings great calm to these massive forces of nature, what do you think he could do in your trials? I know this from personal experience, okay? He doesn't always heal us of our ailments. For 13 years, I've prayed for an ailment um, and nothing is, nothing's fully final. I'm not healed yet, okay? The Apostle Paul prayed three times for a thorn in his flesh. Well, I got you, Paul. Three plus 10 years, I've prayed for this ailment and it hasn't gone away. And I know he doesn't always rescue us from that, that desperate job situation that horrible boss, at least not in the ways I think that, that we think he does. Yeah, here's the comforting fact that he, that God, the God of all the universe, he alone has the power to deliver us. When you have the great light of the world on your side, darkness, the deepest shadows of this valley that you may be traveling in cannot stand against him. God will be God will be with us and he will give us strength to endure. You know, on the most difficult night of our Lord and Savior's life, when he was in a position of grief and sorrow that is beyond any words that could have ever been written, do you remember what God did when he was praying in the garden? God sent that fiery chariot, right? That fiery chariot down from heaven and, and just like pulled him out of the situation, Right? Now God sent all these angels to come down and just wipe out Judas and wipe out all the Romans and just destroy them all that Jesus could be seen as the Lord of all, right? No. What did God do? God sent an angel, an angel to strengthen Jesus, to minister to him, to strengthen him. Because of that strengthening, Jesus was able to face the fear of the cross without any such fear. He was able to endure for our sake. During my depression, I really, really wanted uh, God to show up. And you know what? After a time of suffering, he did. He showed up and he didn't take me out. But he strengthened me to endure. God knew I didn't need an exit. He knew I needed courage to withstand. And that's exactly what he gave me. And I'll tell you right now, if you're suffering, he can give you that too. Every single one of you who is experiencing a trial at the moment right now, no matter how minimal you might think it is or how big it is, God can give you the strength and courage to endure. Listen, I want to be healed, quite frankly, of my ailment fully, but I'll tell you this promise. God, even through these 13 years, has strengthened me. I'm here today, standing in front of you, I have a thriving family, an incredible job, a great group of friends and, and brothers. And 
He's given me percentages of my health back. And you know what? That's good enough. You know why it's good enough? Because he is good enough. That's why it's good enough. Amen? All right, take, these, take a couple of these scriptures with you so you can take these promises in your back pocket, storm away for when you're walking through this valley of shadow, you can say with confidence you can do this without fear. Here's what, here's what God says to Jacob back in the Old Testament. He says, I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. To Joshua, he says this. He says, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. The nation of Israel, he, res- he reassures them. And he says this, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And to all of us, Jesus proclaims these, this truth. Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Because of these promises in the valley, we can say with confidence, I will fear no evil for you are with me. There's this great quote I heard uh, recently from Ray Vandalon. He teaches on the Old Testament and stuff. And uh, he was talking about the sheep following the shepherd in the Judean desert, okay? That's what he said. He said, when you follow the shepherd in the desert, you will get what you need for right now. Ten minutes later, you trust the shepherd. It's enough. Does it sound familiar? Do, Do you remember what we pray in the Lord's Prayer Give us this day our daily bread. And this is the understanding that we need to come to when we realize we don't need a thing, right? When we follow our shepherd, Jesus, we realize he supplies all for us. We need nothing. He will lead us to our source of life and direction. And he's going to provide it minute by minute, hour by hour, and day by day. I will fear no evil, as the scripture says. And does that mean you won't have a moment of hesitation? A moment of doubt? A moment of weariness during your trial? No, no, it doesn't mean that. But what it does mean is that you can say with confidence that when you come upon a trial, you have nothing to fear because God is right here. He's with you. He is so close and he cares, beloved, as we talked about earlier. You can have confidence to say this, that nothing can overcome you, that neither life nor death, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Be assured, brothers, as I told the new Christians earlier, that evil will come. Evil will come. But as the Apostle Paul reminds us, God will lead us on paths of righteousness when he said, this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Beyond all comparison. The eternal weight of glory, can you understand that? Can you picture that? Beyond all comparison is this great, this great love, this great promise of eternity that we have for God. And if we take this short view on life, just right now in the here and now, we're going to miss that truth. We're going to fall to hopelessness and despair. But if we view what we're going through now as this light and momentary affliction, we will be able to proclaim with David great confidence and say this, God, I will fear no evil for you are with me. I've been kind of giving you a couple ideas here recently on some spiritual disciplines we want you to dive into. And I want to leave you this morning with a spiritual discipline. Dive into, you might not be familiar with it because it's kind of, 
well, it's maybe it's just about as outdated as animal sacrifices are in the church, but uh, it's fasting. Um, fasting is an incredibly powerful discipline that we can utilize to draw near and connect with God. So what is it? So fasting, first and foremost, begins with, obviously, the abstaining from food for a period of time. But it's not just about that. As Richard Foster rightly notes, Richard Foster says that fasting must forever center on God, not our stomachs. Amen? So during a fast, I really want you to focus on drawing closer to your Heavenly Father. Read about Him. Pray and journal, withdraw to some place, turn on worship music and sing, sing songs. When your stomach starts to grumble, give praise back to God. And it will grumble. Give praise back to God. Fasting is there really to remind us that we're not sustained by food, but as Jesus said, by every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's the promise of fasting. And it's especially vital for those of you experiencing the valley of the shadow right now. When you're surrounded by fear and doubt, I want to call you to, to withdraw to this place of fasting. When you think you're needing so many things and you've got so many lacks in life, withdraw to a fast and find God saying to you, you need nothing more than my presence. I'm the shepherd. I'm going to awaken you from your darkness. I want to challenge you this week um, to pick a day and skip a meal. If you already skip breakfast because you're the kind of person that gets up and doesn't eat, that doesn't count. Um, so skip lunch as well, okay? Uh, but if you don't typically skip breakfast, skip that. You want to be a little more brave, skip breakfast and lunch. And if you want to do a true fast, you're going to obviously skip all three meals and then break your fast with the next morning's breakfast, okay? Um, I'm going to do this on Thursday of this week. And I want to challenge each one of you to join me on Thursday of this week. And as you do pull back from that meal two or three, would you read this psalm that we've been talking about this week, Psalm 23? Would you study it? Would you, would you understand it? Would you chew on it and meditate on it? Would you also meditate on Isaiah 58, which is an incredible passage about fasting? Please pull that up and read through that chapter. It's awesome, okay? Do your best in whatever it is going on around you to take those moments and draw close to God. Focus on him in that time, okay? And when we do this, just like the series is trying to talk about, we realize we truly don't need a thing except God himself. Let's pray. Father God, oh, Lord God, we just thank you so much for your presence, Lord God. Um, God, we just pray through the darkness and through the valleys, God, that you are always with us, that we can always feel you and sense you, God. And when we get off course, God, would you just nudge us back in place, God? Father, I pray for the hearts of those who are hurting, God, this morning, that you would minister to them um, through this final song, Lord God, that you would minister to them through other brothers and sisters this week, that you restore their hope that we have nothing to fear for you are with us. Lord, it is in the great and mighty name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen.